It's episode 122 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is James Haskin. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> that was my cue, right? My name. That was you. Got That's it? the bit. Speak then. <laughs> I'm ready. Speak when you hear your name. Got it. Throughout? <laughs> like, are you going to cue me every time? Yes, James Haskin. Okay, I am. Cool. And I'm going to refer to you by your... Well, I'm going to refer to you as James Alexander Haskin. Yeah, because there are other Jameses who might be in the room. We don't know. Oh, I find that very hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a small room. <laughs> uh, thank you, well, thank you, uh, thank you to the nursery for giving us a room, a perfectly, I would say, a perfectly proportioned yeah, room. Yeah, sorry, uh, I didn't mean to insult the room. I mean, if you're gonna have James hiding, it's right probably side. too. It is a small room if you're yeah. gonna have James hiding. But, but I mean, there's a bag over there which I'm presuming has a keyboard in it. Yes, but it could, it could have, have James in there. In the... So you, um, you, I was gonna say you suffer. <laughs> Perhaps that's the wrong word. But you suffer from an excess of Jameses in your life. Would you say right. that? Yeah. Sometimes I think like it's it's just boring like I should change my name because it's too awkward to have a bunch of Jameses. So maybe I should take it upon myself. Like I'm noticing that problem but I'm not doing anything about it. So maybe I should just change my name. Like isn't it a bit stubborn to keep the same name when it's confusing? My boss at work is called James. Oh really? I didn't even know about yeah. that James. His... My boss's boyfriend is called James. Uh, I'm in an improv group with the James. That was the James that I was thinking <laughs> yeah. about. There are other Jameses. Tell me about James and I. Uh, so James and I is me and another James, James <laughs> Irving. Um, and we, so it started off as um, like a stage thing um, where we do kind of slow burn scenes that get weird. That was the initial premise I think yeah. we rehearsed it for quite a while before we showed it to anyone maybe like maybe four or five months we were doing it fairly regularly that's a lot that's a that seems a long time in development yeah it took a while to just work out what it was like I kind of knew what how I wanted it to come across but I didn't necessarily know how to get there yeah um so it took us a while to figure that out and I think initially I tried to make it too complicated and it was too much for us to think about. So it was getting rid of some of that and making it more simple and more instinctual. Um, and what kind of part of the format is that we're always trying to find like an unusual thing, not necessarily like the first unusual thing, because quite often there are lots of those. <laughs> if only if only there were some sort of uh, improv school <laughs> right, that, that, came, that. that could use that idea of the first unusual thing. I don't know what we'd yeah, call it. No, we'd call it game. <laughs> yeah. Call it the game of the scene. I think what we're doing is just doing that really slowly. <laughs> we're doing like a UCB game based scene at a speed that I can play at, which is where one scene lasts 15 minutes. Like that's, that's where I'm comfortable. I'm very much of that. Um, yes. Like, yeah, I no, just need it all at a bit of a slower pace. Yeah, that's quite handy. And it's the thing is usually like this feels emotionally true at this point, but wouldn't necessarily exist in the kind of world that we set up. So to start off with, we're trying to make it pretty grounded, which doesn't always happen. Because <laughs> one of us will kind of throw odd curveballs in there. But then when they come up, the idea is you just integrate them. Okay, cool, that's part of the reality that we're in. And then at some point you'll find out some piece of uh, information that feels like, 
uh, right. It feels like the right thing. Uh, but it doesn't fit within the kind of world that you've created. So you go, okay, well, what happens if we follow that? Um, and it's like you find a little crack in the world that you've set up and you just pull it open and you're like, what happens if this keeps getting bigger? Mm. And that's the idea, really. And we don't always hit that, but that's the kind of thing that we rehearsed and that's roughly what we're aiming for, mm. is that thing where it just gets bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, and so that... The idea is it kind of, it just feels kind of surreal, but it's mixing that in with things that are grounded. Hmm. Uh, the guy who does the music for our podcast uh, has pointed out that we do a lot of product placement. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I think is just from like grounding things. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is in a Tesco Express <laughs> or whatever. I will mention like Uber or, because it's like, Spec- okay, these feel like the right kind of details for yeah. that specificity initial world yeah oh yeah and it helps with the grounding yeah because yeah. then it's like oh yeah i can relate to this and then until you can't <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we're kind of carrying people along a little bit on that journey with us we don't want to leave people behind or have people watching it and be like this is just two guys showing up which i mean it is to <laughs> um, but we want people to feel like they're coming on that journey with us and that we're discovering it as they're discovering it so are you asking for a suggestion at the beginning no we don't nice see that would be a good way of getting people on site i don't know what we do initially i don't think you should i don't think we should ask for suggestions i think i think suggestions are generally rubbish (laughs) yeah because i'm not sure what you do with it we initially started off asking for a suggestion so initially because we'd rehearsed it for so long we had a really complicated opening, <laughs> which we... Tell me about this in every single excruciating detail. I'm trying to remember what the things were. There were maybe like three different things that were like, we have to go through all these three things were they? before we can do a set. So one of them, I think we did take a suggestion, but up front we were like, we're not going to use it. <laughs> you just if, take it and then yeah. we just tell the audience you're not going to use it. Yeah, so we were like... Oh, I if, love that. That's brilliant. If you were going to give a suggestion, what would that suggestion be? And then... Sometimes we'd use it and sometimes we wouldn't. And then we did that a couple of times. I think you should be more militant. I think you should go, can we have a suggestion? We're not going to use it. We just want you to feel like you're involved. But you're not. That's kind of what we're saying, yeah. (laughs) And then we kind of played that where we then didn't use a suggestion. And when we did, and it was kind of funny when when we did, like it, it it would seem like you'd forgotten about it and then you'd just mention whatever thing was yes and I was like oh, we've done that now so maybe we can drop that bit what was the other thing there were three distinct <laughs> phases of the uh, introduction which I can't oh so one of them is kind of what we do uh, in the introduction for the uh, podcast I think that came out of that so what we do there which we don't always do again it's just like it feels like a fun thing sometimes is that we will describe the show and give it some kind of metaphor and then keep adding details to that metaphor until it doesn't make sense anymore. So the idea of that is it, that's like the show in miniature. That's like a way of like practicing up front of saying like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. But so you'd say, oh yeah, this, this show is, um, it kind of appears as we go like a mist and then you go into all the details about this mist and you get very, very specific details about it and it gets kind of bigger and more surreal until actually the metaphor doesn't really make sense anymore for what you were trying to say in the first place. 
So you're playing with the audience, you're sort of teasing them, you're sort of going, this is, this is how the show works, but then your explanation of the show doesn't actually make sense. Is that what you're doing? Um, no, I think I wanted it to be like, this is an example of what we're going to do in right. miniature. Ah, right. The show will initially make sense and then not. Because I was worried, it was the same thing. So I was like, I want to do this kind of weird idea. I want people to be on board with it. So I feel like I have to pre-warn them. I think that's where all these introductions came from. Was it was like, we have to set people up for what's going to happen. Because I don't want it to be like, oh, they're buying into this reality of this thing. And then they're like, oh, they're just fucking around now. <laughs> <laughs> Why have they gone off on a tangent? So I wanted it to be like, at the beginning, oh, this is going to be weird. So then when we start doing the improv, you're like, maybe this is not as weird as I thought it would be. And then it does get weird. But I don't know. I overthought it. It was too much. So we've dropped all of that now, I think. What was the third thing? I don't know. Maybe it'll come to me later. But there was a third thing. And I think, and we did one show at the nursery where for some reason, I can't remember exactly why, but we were like, oh, we're not going to do that. We're just going to go in and do a scene. So we just come out and explain it very simply and say, this is how it works. And we did it with them. So we, the way we do the live show now is that the guy who does the music for the podcast will... Who is called? Uh, Dan. Uh, give him a name. Give him a name, just slob drew me as his like, recording name. Uh, he's the guy I went to school with. They've known each other forever. Um, so he, for the podcast, we record it and we send it off to him. He lives, which is just like a practical thing because he lives in Southampton. And he <laughs> can't bother to come up here. So we send it to him and then he does the music. And he improvises the music while he's listening to it for the first time. So you, you we'll talk about the podcast side of it in a minute. Yeah. So he does that. So yeah. for the live show, it's backwards. So he records us a track. We just give him a, a length of the set we're going to do. Ah. He sends us a track. Yeah. We've never heard it before yeah. until we're on stage. Wow. And then that kind of informs. So now the intro is just that. We just come out, hi, we're both called James. Uh, here's a show that we're going to do, which feels a lot more comfortable. And the first time we did it that way, I maybe wasn't quite ready to let go of the intro. <laughs> I was like, but the intro was important. Um, and I think James said to me, on this way just feels less pretentious. <laughs> and I gave in to that. <laughs> I don't think you should let that be a, be a guide either way. Um, no, it's interesting because I've heard the debate about how much you should explain to the audience both yeah. ways. Some yeah. people say, don't explain. The audience are intelligent. They'll pick it up. And other people go, what on earth is a Harold? You should at least give some people an expectation of what's going to happen perhaps not explaining in too much detail because I might just leave. Yeah. I know I do. <laughs> you discuss uh, the beats on it. Yeah, it's like... This is a group game. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't fancy this. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is, it is really interesting that kind of like how much do you explain to the audience. Yeah. And I think our attitude with it more now is just like, oh, hey, we're just a couple of guys and we're going to do a silly thing and hopefully you'll come along with us, with it. Whereas before I did feel like I had to be like let's be maximum kind of weirdness at the beginning yeah to set the scene for it uh but then that doesn't necessarily help people if the idea is to kind of walk them through it and to bring them into that kind of weird kind of surreal world then that kind of fails if up front you just go look how weird we are okay <laughs> let's do a show <laughs> now we've done that bit and that bit and sometimes i think the the 
obvious issue with that as well as you're just going through okay well we have to tick this box and this box and you're doing a 15 minute set as well somewhere yeah. and you're just like you probably need as much time of that as possible sure to actually start. do the show in yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh it's really interesting um having a soundtrack how mm. kind of how did that idea develop um we i've always just done projects with Dan, like since we were kids, we used to we recorded albums, which hopefully no one will ever hear. <laughs> like quite a few, yeah, with really involved like storylines and stuff. They were like stories to different songs. Oh wow! Um, and we kind of continued to do that as we grew up, to the point where I think when Dan was in university, I went to visit him and we recorded one. And probably we were old enough to be <laughs> just to sort of stop kind of fucking around to that extent, <laughs> but we hadn't. So we were still going, just telling all these silly stories that came out of just us being kids and making stuff up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so since then, I've just been looking for uh, projects that we can do together. So that's how he got involved with the podcast, was because I was looking for a project where I was like, um, I want something that has a lot of music in it. And I was thinking about the kind of Chris Morris, like Blue Jam, the yeah, yeah, yeah. version, um, which has all those different bits of music in it and the music level is quite high um, so I was trying to find a project like that for a while and then I kind of realised that what I was doing with James would kind of fit together so that we kind of push those things together um, and then it was from there that he got involved with the live stuff um, because we just thought oh that would, that would be fun if we could get that involved somehow and I think we initially used tracks that he had already recorded in rehearsal, um, just to get an idea of what that would yeah. feel like. And it just it gives you so much to play off of. Yes. There's so much, just kind of information there. Yes. And it weirdly justifies all of the like silences in the set as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. is quite nice because there were a lot of silences already when we're just looking at each other and taking things in. Um, and when you fill those with music, they suddenly feel very meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> no, certainly when I've seen you perform, yeah, the music, it gives the whole scene a kind of a, a richness that perhaps yeah. you wouldn't get if there wasn't a, sort of a musical backing. Yeah. You mentioned so. the eye contact thing. Yeah. Is that part of the process? I'm not sure if I've ever discussed it. Um, I don't know if that is part of the process. There's definitely a lot about kind of connection and listening and yeah the the format means that you have to really listen to what people are saying because you're not just listening for emotional content although you have to do that as well you're listening to uh, what they're saying and how they're acting and all of that stuff there's loads of stuff anyway there's loads of information and then on top of that you're saying well what's the literal uh, kind of reality of what they're saying as well and how might that inform where the scene goes and are there things there which might then change everything and so I often kind of realize, and actually doing the podcast has made a difference to that because I can hear how many things I've missed when I play it back that ah, like, oh that was an offer like yeah. I, I didn't realize it at the time um, so as well as kind of figuring out the format, one of the reasons that we had to rehearse it for so long is because there is a big part of you that wants to kind of block things and be like, that's silly. Let's <laughs> not do that thing. It's because that's the, because you're playing with the reality at the beginning. And so then when something comes up, you're like, you don't mean that literally. And then, <laughs> but it's a lot more fun if you do. 
if you can pick on that thing and say, oh no, no, actually that's where we're going. Yeah. yeah. Um, so sometimes you just feel like, oh, that's that's a metaphor for how they feel or whatever. But quite often that's the other person is saying, let's play with this. <laughs> you haven't quite realised it yet. And and you're doing one scene for 15 minutes or whatever the slot is. Yeah, usually if we're doing a 15. Uh, we've done some 25s at the nursery, um, which is often like a couple of scenes we'll do in that kind of length. Um, I think we're working on just easier ways to kind of transition between those. Uh, we went through a phase of kind of walking off stage and walking on stage and then time has passed between the things and that's yeah, quite yeah. useful. That's lovely. But then you get into this kind of uh, flow of that, that kind of rhythm. So it's good to kind of break that. So I think uh, I think it was the last one we did. We were deliberately like, let's do simpler edits where you just move to somewhere else on the stage and we know there's a new scene and we can kind of pick that up. Um, yeah, so that's usually how that works. It, it's not unusual for the first scene to still be like 15 minutes. <laughs> it does seem to be when you're kind of developing a new form, it mm. does seem to be that a lot of the time it is a case of removing things. Mm. It's like just making it simpler. Just, you know, I always think you need all the detail when you're starting it, but then right. it's just taking it away and just, just simplifying it. It's, yeah, it's really and you cute. want to make some of that stuff uh, subconscious, I think, to a mm. point, is that initially you have that stuff in place, and maybe and we probably had too much stuff, but um, it's to do with the kind of tone and what do we want this to look like, and communicating that idea to someone else, and so it came from me initially. The kind of project is that I came in to spoke to James because I'd had an idea of like something that I wanted to work on. I wasn't sure who I wanted to work on it with, and then it so originally it came out of. Um, James and I are both in uh, Classic Andy, um, and there was like a, a bring your own team jam, which is like a C3 oh, or something yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that they used to do. Um, and we were the only two people that could make it that evening from Classic Andy. And we were like, well, we'll do it anyway. We'll go and see what happens. Um, and we just really enjoyed it. And it was just it was a really fun thing. And like, How do we do that thing again? And then I just kind of said, well, actually, I had this idea that I wanted to work on with someone. So maybe this is a, a good way of doing that. And then I just gave James a ton of information <laughs> about all this stuff I wanted to work on. And he was great about it and was like so interested. And um, we talked about uh, kind of folk tales and stuff. I used to have this book that was, you could just look up different areas in the UK and it tells you all the kind of folk tales that would be in that kind of area. So we were talking about those are just like, um, those were like an explanation for something that someone didn't understand that it's like, oh, that's a troll that lives in a cave. That explains what's going on there. That's why that river is red, because there's a troll who lives in the cave and he killed someone in the blood makes the river, or whatever that thing is. So we're trying to find ways into that. Uh, but that's a very difficult thing to do consciously, uh, to come up with that stuff. So the idea then was that if we just kind of break things enough, if we break the scene, then whatever the explanation is for that, will be something kind of supernatural, something outside of that initial reality. Is that that's then how you kind of explain it to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. say, all oh, right, yeah, it was about uh, ghosts. It was about... And um, a lot of those things as well just kind of happen to be 
uh, sci-fi things or horror things so it can go in those directions as well mm. um, that that's how you fill something in we did a lot of shows at one point where it was, there was kind of a time travel element to it there was one that we did early on where we were like oh this, this is going to work <laughs> this is going to be good <laughs> which was um, we played these characters who had been at university together and they were reminiscing about when they were at university they were drinking snake bite and black Snake by and black. Yeah, and they're saying, oh, this kind of takes me back to university. And they're talking about when they were chained to a tree, and then the scene just kind of transitioned into that. So then uh, we're kind of climbing around on chairs. This is tree. Um, oh, this is chained to it. James is climbing all around. And um, we were like, oh, there's something here. There's something interesting about that. Um, and that, I think, it just came out of that idea of this takes me back. And it's like, well, what's the literal version of that? And then can we go back to that place yeah. and using that as a, as a way to access that. So we used to do quite a few that were about that kind of... And then every time we notice a pattern, we're like, oh, let's stop doing those. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe we were like, we've done a, we've done a few time travel ones. Mm. <laughs> we can rest that for a bit. Um, and that's the other thing as well, is we're always trying to pick up on what have we done recently what can we change? And just always doing that. And we don't really rehearse it uh, anymore. Often we'll have like one rehearsal before a show because we know we've got that coming up. And we'll just remind ourselves of how does this work? What does this feel like? Um, and yeah, try stuff out that way. And then the only other thing is we'll just say, you know, what have we done? And what else can we do? There must be other options <laughs> of things that we haven't done yet. And uh, so that's usually the kind of push to change things. It's like, well, actually, we've done a few of those. Yeah. We've got it. We've yeah. got that one in the back. You need to keep it fresh for yourselves and yeah. interesting and doing new things and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and kind of push things as well. What I love about it, the thing that I really love about doing it, is that I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and I'm just lost in it. And that's the thing. And that's scary. When I haven't done it for a while and we've got a show, then before the show, quite nervous, like more so than I would be with another show, because it's very exposing. Um, it makes you feel quite vulnerable and you just have to trust that the other person has kind of got that. Hmm. I feel like James has probably seen like less fortunate parts of my personality through scenes that come out in a scene and sometimes horrible things happen in the scenes that we do. And that kind of comes from who you are as a person. There's a lot of things of yourself. That you go, oh yeah, let's. And James has done that to me. There was a scene, a show we did at the nursery where he uh, played a character who just kept going out on these strange trips and returning with. Uh, he had br briefcases. And it turned out the briefcases were made of human skin towards the end, and he was this horrible character. And then I, I was just this guy um, working for him who was watching the CCTV <laughs> and just standing there for hour after hour <laughs> watching these screens. Um, and then in the end, it ended up with him uh, killing me, killing my character, which is like in a show like that where you uh, feel quite vulnerable and of that length where you kind of really settled into a character, uh, that feels like a, a big thing yeah. to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to die now. <laughs> um, in a way that it doesn't in a shorter scene because people do that all the time. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. a jokey thing of I'm going to kill someone off. Um, but once you're that invested in it, 
and then you kind of see that in the other person um and then you just have to trust that that they have control of that thing that they're doing and that's and james has huge amounts of control of what mm. he's doing all the time um and he, so he can access that stuff in a, in a way that still feels safe and afterwards you feel a bit like dazed mm. <laughs> but, but otherwise unharmed <laughs> <laughs> That sounds a good state to be in yeah. after a show. And that's what I always remember as we do it, as we go into the show. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how you do the show. You just give up everything <laughs> and completely give yourself to it and invest details of your life into it. And then it, it becomes its own thing. Um, and I think that's how we approach it slightly differently as well, so that James does have um, maybe more control. I don't want to say like put words into his mouth kind of thing I don't know exactly how it processes it but what we've discussed before is this idea that um, he will see like different routes that something can go and he'll say oh, I'll say something and it'll create interesting kind of possibilities of where it could go whereas I can only ever see the next little bit mm. what's, what's the next step that I take what's the next line that I say what's the next like movement mm. is as much as I know of the show and then it's just that and then what's happened up to that point. So I'm always just going, lots step, lots step, lots step. And then hopefully that kind of works out. And what I like about it is when we put together a show that you look back on and you feel like, oh, that had a premise. <laughs> right. Which <laughs> doesn't always happen. Yeah. But, but it wasn't one you were conscious of. Yeah. It's one you realise afterwards. And those are the nice things for me. Um, or those are the my favourite kind of shows that we do is that you go, oh, there was a thing in that character and it got bigger and then it became a premise and then we uh, exaggerated it and it kind of tied together. Um, which is not a thing I, I'm sure I could do consciously. Mm. <laughs> I would find really, really difficult. I don't necessarily have those uh, skills or that kind of practice of... Uh, of going into a scene and being like, okay, this is what's happening, and this is maybe where it could go, and how that'll wrap up. Um, but I can do it over, you know, 25 minutes, and <laughs> a little bit at a time. Um, and you've, you mentioned it before, but you now, you also do a podcast of it. Mm. What was the inspiration for doing that? I mean, personally, I discourage anybody else from doing podcasts. It's too crowded. It's too crowded. The market's too don't, crowded. I need to uh, remove... All of the competition. Um, we, so yeah, as I was saying, we did the stage show initially. Um, I was looking for a project that I could do with Dan for where he could do music. Um, I'd been listening to the kind of Blue Jam uh, stuff, which is the Chris Morris um, radio version of uh, Jam. And um, yeah, and I thought. Oh, that would be a fun project that we could put these things together. I'd come up with all sorts of like complicated ideas for projects as well. <laughs> I'd pitch to Dan and then be like, oh my God, this is too much work. We can never do this. <laughs> um, so that felt like an accessible way of doing it. Oh, this is the thing that we do on stage. Um, I wanted to learn more about uh, recording audio stuff for work because I work as a media technician at a college and it was helpful to be able to teach people how to use uh, Audition as the package that we use, the Adobe stuff. Um, and that was that part of the general Adobe package that I wasn't very familiar with, I didn't really know. Uh, apart from um, 
recording stuff when we were kids. We recorded music and we used a program called Magix, which was uh, I got for Christmas one year. Oh, <laughs> right, wow. The initial version we had, uh, Dan had on a CD that I think someone, it was like a dodgy copy, uh, which is like a really old one that we, and then, that we had. And then at some point we upgraded. So that was my Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my only experience of recording any audio, was recording those things. And trying to figure out, so I had I knew like little bits of that kind of puzzle, but not a lot. And yeah, it was weird that actually he ended up going into doing music and learning loads more of those kind of bits. But um, I hadn't at that point, and then I thought I could do with learning this stuff uh, because they do podcasting units and stuff at the college now. But so yeah, I wanted to get better at that, and I try and do that all the time as well when we do it is like how can I make this more interesting in terms of the sound um, or more like a complete uh, package um, so I mix in the music we have sound effects um, yeah and they're like interesting and I try and find different things each time and I'm like oh this if I tweak this mm. then this will give it an interesting sound and um, I want it to have that kind of flowing thing so you just feel like you kind of sucked into it but, um, yeah, so they, so as an example, uh, one of the things that I worked out that you could do is when you have like your kind of Atmos track in the background, so you have the kind of general room tone noise, wherever that location is that we're, the scene's taking place in. And once you've established that, that's just like a constant level of noise usually. And then I realized that you could set it up so that as the music gets louder, that gets quieter and set that up as an automatic process so that the music causes it to kind of scoop out and you lose those bits. Mm. And that's that same thing about how do you make it feel like a one thing, one kind of flowing thing all the way through. And well, that's one way of doing this. The level of something comes down, the level of the music goes up and they kind of switch places mm. on the way throughout. So that felt quite good. I was like, oh yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> idea. How do I do that? And like Google it and figure that. So in a way it's figuring that stuff out um, it's figuring out, yeah, just how do we improve it? How do we make it more interesting all the time? Uh, it's the same thing as kind of with the live show. What haven't we done? Uh, how can we change what we do? Um, and then I send it to Dan. And Dan had been um, kind of starting out improvising stuff as well. So that, that was where some of it came from. Mm. Was uh, prior to that, he would spend a long time working on kind of albums that you put together and I'd try and help him promote them and get people interested and it was always this real uphill struggle um, to just get people interested and so there was a kind of disappointment to that sometimes that you put all this work into a project and you put it out there and then uh, people are not as interested as you'd hoped um, and he was kind of then investigating uh, improvising music as a as a way of um, like putting together ideas and um, exploring things. So he'd started doing that and then it just kind of happened at the right time that those things came together. And they're like, oh, let's do this on a podcast. And, um, and the nice thing about podcasts is that you have the opportunity to reach many more people than you can with your live shows. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. <laughs> Has that been the case? Um, I'm not sure how many people do listen to it. Um, <laughs> Neither do I. I have no idea how many people listen to this podcast. <laughs> I totally know. <laughs> Check it all the you time. You know, like that today. Um, 
it's not a huge number of people they're quality over quantity exactly yeah I hope it really connects with some people I'm pretty sure my dad listens to it on a regular basis nice. so you know that's the main <laughs> the main audience that Romeo at as long as we please our fathers <laughs> yeah. and our mothers as long as dad gets it and I think my mum kind of has listened to it as well and maybe she didn't get it as much at first and she's then, more of a Chris Morris fan kind of she likes you know. <laughs> yeah she's like a purist <laughs> um initially I don't know maybe it was a bit weird and then uh, there, there was one point where I saw it at uh, Dan's wedding when Dan got married because uh, he had co- we've kind of made him part of our family so my whole family was there for the for when he got married and I saw my parents and my mum said oh we were listening to your podcast on the way down wow and I was like ah oh, so kind of <laughs> <laughs> like broken through it like my dad just got it straight away yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way that he just understands things that I put together because quite often I make these weird things and other people don't necessarily get them. He'll just, just be like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I got it. And although um, when you do the live show, it's just the two of you, you've had some yeah. guests for the podcast? Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, so again, we just wanted to try and change it up a bit and that's been a really fun way of doing it. I think the first one we had was uh, Rihanna Vivian um, because she was around. <laughs> <laughs> but and uh, it's amazing. Um, but also, it's a good job she's very talented. This is brilliant. Around, isn't it? Yeah. But also around. Yeah. So I think I'm not sure exactly when we agreed that, but I think James was just like, yeah, I think she'd be up for it. And so we asked, and then that was just so much fun. Um, and she was really great at that, and just kind of got it as well. Um, and actually, the that's happened in general. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of explanation. There's, we have like an initial explanation of this is what to expect, um, which is hopefully getting shorter. I think initially it was too much, um, but people seem to kind of get it once once you do it and you try it out. And yeah. Then, um, yeah. So the last one that we released was with uh, Trudy Chatterjee, um, and he was really fun to have in for that as well. Um, my aim for that one so we kind of put it out as like a, a Halloween episode um, but my initial aim for it was like we need to be nicer to Trilly because <laughs> we've done a series of scenes where we weren't very nice to his characters so before we recorded that I was like right guys let's be nice to Trilly and it didn't happen <laughs> it really went the opposite way um, yeah so we ended up with this episode of me just being a real dick to Trilly <laughs> throughout, um, which has now uh, become our Halloween. <laughs> so we picked it out because uh, that seemed an appropriate uh, thing to link it to. Some of them do go like quite dark and <laughs> do go in that direction. And if people want to listen to it, where can they find it? Uh, JamesImprov.com is the website. It's on iTunes and stuff as well. But various places where you find podcasts um we're on uh facebook as uh james improv as well cool yeah cool do listen to that don't listen to that do listen to that (laughs) don't listen to that do listen that's different that's different it's not the same it's all right as long as you don't interview the people halfway through that's fine uh yeah Yeah. you'll be really horrible (laughs) (laughs) like if it was one where i'm uh, something horrible is happening and then we stop and say who is the person that we're actually <laughs> that we're murdering here let's, let's get to the <laughs> let's find out about them um, you're also a member of Classic Andy yeah 
What's happening with Classic Andy? Um, we have just had auditions. We're recruiting some new people. Because you've been going for a few years now. We have. I've lost track. That's all right. Three, three or four years. Yeah, yeah. Maybe towards four years now. Um, we started out as... They were just people that I did my first improv class with, like Hoopla stuff. Um, and then we kind of added more people as we went. And then we had some like big group that were just rehearsed together outside of... Um, and we had classes. And then, obviously, a bunch of those people fell away because they Cause didn't that's want how improv groups work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't want to be that committed to it. Um, but there are a bunch of people still in that group that um, were there when I first kind of started. And it's really lovely, and we love spending time together. And that's a big part of it, I think. It's yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. a, a lot of why uh, we're still going. It's just that we're happy to kind of be in a room together and to, to play around and... Uh, because it's all work is <laughs> what no one tells you at the start <laughs> it's that um, there's a lot of work involved and um, yeah sometimes it can be quite stressful it feels like you're taking on this extra job of organising a group of people and uh, putting things together and we have a night that we run and um, we're getting about. better at sharing that yeah sharing that what the, the admin the, the admin yeah, yeah, yeah all that stuff um, and in terms of making decisions as well, like just putting someone in charge of something so they can make some of those decisions instead of trying to make everything a group decision. Mm. Um, although still having a bit of that. We don't want to completely let go of the idea. It's a group thing. Um, there's no one that's in charge of it, which is really challenging sometimes. <laughs> um, but also it's brilliant. It's kind of why you, we want to do that. It's, it's like, oh, we want to be this, this group of people in a room together. Um, so we've taken on some new people which we're really excited about can you talk me through your audition process I can Um, we did group auditions uh, two of them so they were uh, a week apart um, just to accommodate for people that couldn't make uh, one or the other Uh, we just tried to keep it really laid back make it kind of like a workshop and just play some uh, games that we wanted to play Um, yeah, and just try stuff out and give people room to... Because it's nice to see who kind of steps into that. If you give someone the option, you can do this thing. You don't have to, but it's here. If you, and you kind of want to watch who, <laughs> who steps into that. What sort of thing are you thinking about? Um, so, as an example, one of the things we did, we did like a Temple of Doom thing exercise where it's like, okay, you're going across the room and you have to get this artifacts or something on the side of the room and everyone gets killed in different ways as you go across and you have to watch how other people died and that's what you're going to avoid this time um, and that's the basic exercise and then we just kind of gave people the option of oh, also if you want to add sound effects or like jump in and, and play a part of this set then that's totally open to you and so it's interesting to see who steps into that and who gives that go um, yeah and that's obviously not Entirely what I mean, this is based on. <laughs> it wasn't just like, okay, guys, we're going to do this one exercise. <laughs> and then we'll see. Then we'll, you know, sort. We're going to sort you all out. Um, it wasn't that. But it's that kind of attitude, I think, is uh, for me, kind of what I was looking for, is that people that can step in and uh, just be like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Uh, because it's not directed. And it can be a bit chaotic at times. Um, and we want people that... Uh, can help us make decisions, can help us organise things as well outside of it. Um, 
so personally, yeah, and I think people were looking for different things and different skill sets, and there are definite skill sets that we're looking for in terms of like how people behave in a scene and and how they engage with things. Um, but I think the biggest thing from my perspective was that thing of like, who can we throw into this group and just they're going to get on with it. Yeah. Um, which I can't. I probably shouldn't mention who it was that we chose because they haven't started yet. Maybe they'll come to a rehearsal and they're like, oh my God, we made a horrible mistake. Um, but we feel like we have made a, some good quality decisions. Fantastic. Uh, so tell me about the night that you host. Yeah, so it's called uh, Improv Comedy Party. Uh, the idea is it's a bit like a kind of party setup. There's uh, games where we get the audience involved. Um, Costumes, we always do some kind of elaborate costume that takes too long to put on at the beginning of the show. Um, and we kind of try and dress the place up a bit and there are sweets, I don't know, it's a party. Um, <laughs> you get it, you get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're trying to just try out different things as well at the moment um, because I think we got to a point where it was like a competent improv show and we had two other acts and we had us. And we were like, what if we just had one other act? And that just gave us time to play with a bunch of ideas. So the last one that we did was probably the first one where we were trying out some new bits that we could do. So it, it was our Halloween show. And we added uh, a section where it was like, we're going to have an interview with the inventor of Halloween. Whatever you've ever wondered about Halloween, any of those kind of traditions that you think are a bit strange, you can ask the person that invented them. And, um, we added that bit, and there were like a few bits like that where we were like, let's just try and put in little things that are not a whole set, that are just, we're playing with a little kind of improv thing, a game, a kind of a game, hmm. um, and making those look like something that's not an improv show. So that one was like, oh, it's a chat show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we deliberately set it up so that it was after the interval, so as people were returning to their seats, uh, James was the host, and he just kind of welcomes everyone in. I welcome back to the show as if they've been there all <laughs> evening to the uh, chat show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of something we were experimenting with, and that just felt really fun to kind of break it up in that way. Um, so hopefully we'll do a bit more of that. Cool. Um, and do you have a main set that you do? Is there a particular format that you do? We really don't. No, right. <laughs> um, we've been playing with a format called The Bench. Ah, tell me about Julie, the bench. Uh, told us about. Um, the idea is it's uh, like a park bench and all the things that happen there across uh, a day or maybe slightly longer. Um, and you see different times of day um, what goes on on this bench. And you see different people kind of interacting and uh, all the people that use it. And we take suggestions of the things that are around it, so of the kind of setting of it. So we say what's in front and what's behind and what's to either side. Um, yeah, and you just play with that, and it's quite a kind of gentle character-based thing, um, which has been fun. I don't... I presume we were going to keep doing that. I don't know. We're always playing with different formats, I think, is the thing. We're always like, uh, okay, we've done that now. What's next? What's next? What's next? Um, and I think we would like to get to a point where we're putting together a kind of longer, like, fringe-style show, where we can do a longer set like that. Uh, at our night, we tend to do maybe 25 minute sets and then just a bunch of other stuff around it um, so it would be nice to have something that stands alone that's just a show in itself so that's probably the next step is kind of developing working out what that looks like 
Um, yeah, which we're at the very early. So there's going to be a lot of changes. <laughs> That's where we're at at the moment. Everything is changing. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Yeah. So, what's the best or worst note you've ever been given, and did you take it on board? Um, ooh, I'm not sure if I can think of individual. I think often the best notes are just so specific based on the thing that you're working on at that point. Um, and sometimes they're not like general things that you should tell someone. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I can see that you're struggling with this thing. And did you know you can do this? And um, I remember when I did the long form course. So this was a while ago. Like we'd done short form stuff at Hoopla and we we're going into the long form thing. And I felt like this is so difficult. How do I figure this out? And before, when we were doing the short form stuff, I was really excited about doing longer stuff. I was like, oh, I'm going to get more time to play with. And then when I had more time, I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and I felt like I was watching people just walk out with ideas and just be brilliant and funny on the spot. Um, and so that was probably the biggest thing that someone's kind of said to me in terms of the impact that it had was that I said that to Katie. So I think we had a point. Uh, so it was with Katie Shoot. Um, we had a point where... I think we could get like individual feedback and things to work on. Um, and I said, I feel like I'm struggling with this because when I come out, I don't have an idea. And Katie just looked at me and said, so do you feel like you need one? And then I just never really considered before that you, I don't know, obviously I've been told that, this idea that you come out and, and that had been kind of covered in the previous stuff that we'd done. Just go out without an idea, it's fine. But the idea of doing that in like a long form context of like, oh, actually, you can find all that stuff as well, all the character stuff. You don't need to know what the premise of a scene is before you initiate it. Um, I was like, oh, wait, this is a thing. And then, yeah, and Katie was kind of talking to me around that time as well about kind of TJ and Dave and that kind of slower style of things. She was like, have you heard of these people and I hadn't? I was like, oh, wow, this is a thing. <laughs> you can take your time with it. There can be two people on stage and you just really explore something for a while. And that was like quite a big realisation for me because I felt like I wasn't achieving. Whatever the, my idea before that of what improv was, I wasn't achieving it. <laughs> so it was nice to just have someone be like, no, that's this, the thing that you're doing is also great. It's just different. And to just be like, oh, okay, yeah. I think I can do that and get my head around it. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing. But quite often it's just like, here's a bit of information for you that, you, that will be helpful for you right now. You go, oh yeah, that's, that's helpful. But then I find those things really difficult to remember afterwards. Ah, that's interesting. When I'm not then struggling with the same situation. Unless it's applicable then to something else that I do. Um, like, I remember... Uh, in like beginners classes with uh, Maria Peters as well where she was telling me um, just say what it is that you feel and that, uh, so that's a little voice so I internalised that voice at some point but I was just being like just say it just say it just say it just say it and I try and do that as much as possible even in uh, like James and I sets where we've got time to develop stuff and it can go in a weird direction there's still part of me that's just sometimes just gets nutshell at <laughs> don't say that thing don't say that thing yeah. uh, it's too silly you're showing off don't do that so I just try and say it because 
I think what I've found about the way my brain works is there's not another idea coming. <laughs> That's the one you've got. <laughs> so once you start saying no to things in your head, yeah. um, then I think, yeah, you stop coming up with them. And then you have that thing where you're just stood there going, oh, I, I've got nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite often just comes from the fact that you, you had something yeah. and you were like, no, it's not good enough. Let's put that to one side. If someone were to step on stage of you to perform, yeah. what could they do to delight you? Oh, yeah. That's an interesting question. Um, I say, I think it's just I like the kind of connection of if someone just trusts you enough to do that, that's such a big deal. Just making that connection with someone and dealing with it as it goes. Because um, I think sometimes you see people make a decision out of kind of nervousness, and sometimes the way I improvise, like if I'm in a jam or something. I'm aware that sometimes I can make people feel nervous in terms of like, um, maybe I don't know what's, what I'm doing because there are pauses and, uh, and they feel like, oh, I have to fill these gaps in. Um, I love a pause. Yeah. A jam is not the right place for <laughs> no, a pause. No, right. it's not. And it it perhaps, probably, it, perhaps it should be, yeah. but it generally isn't. And I probably wouldn't do that now. But yeah. there was a point where I was kind of experimenting with that stuff. And I was doing a bunch of jams, which I don't, I haven't really done for quite a while. There was a point where I was like, I just I want to be doing, you know, the kind of reps thing. I want to get through as many of these. And I was experimenting with that stuff. And you can kind of see that look of slight panic in the other person. Of like, oh no, have we, have we got this? So the opposite of that is the, the most delightful thing, is the nicest thing, is when someone is just going, Let's just commit to this and see where it goes. Like, you've got my full attention. But I think that's the thing. It's, you've got my full attention. I find that I do a lot of improv scenes that are about, um, like, looking at someone or someone seeing you. And I think that's a thing <laughs> that I just think about a lot, is this idea of, like, when you have someone's attention, um, that thing of, that feeling of just, I see you. It's, I see what you're doing. Um, is really lovely. That's my favourite thing. It's very abstract, isn't it? No, it's, it, it's good, and it may answer <laughs> my uh, next question, the big, the big final question. Yeah. What is your signature move? Signature What's, move. Uh, what do you do that saves the day, brings the house <laughs> down, that people go, classic Haskin? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard you ask this question before. <laughs> I thought that, do I have? Um, I think people would say that I'm grounded, and there, there's part of me that really hates that because it feels like a restriction. Um, and initially it felt like a compliment, but the more people say it, <laughs> the, more, the more I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Um, but there's something to that, to this idea that I'm going to use a thing that I know and then, and then kind of go from there to yeah. go into something else. I find it so difficult to do the opposite. Um, which is something that I'm rehearsing at the moment where uh, they kind of, we were doing physical things and starting with that, well, you, you inhabit like a character physically and what does that character sound like? And I just have got to the point a few times where I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. And there's a real kind of discomfort in that for me. Um, so I think 
some of the those kind of moves that I've made have come from that base. But the idea for me that someone is grounded is like you're always bringing things back to reality, which is not what I want to do at all. Like I don't know if that's kind of obvious from <laughs> the fact that I do this weird uh, show and podcast that was my idea in the first place. That start, but that's but that's set up that way because I'm like, oh, here's how my brain works. Here's how what a show looks like. <laughs> that's that's a version of that, um, which is like let's start where we know. And then find the kind of odd, unusual things that we want to play with out of that. And then let it get weird. But I feel like that's about trust as well. And when we're doing the kind of James and I show, it's, it's always about establish, re-establishing trust all the time. And I need to, and I, I think I have a big thing with that. Of like I need to know that I can trust people. Um, and I don't always naturally trust people. I feel like they have to, I have to know them well enough. So I think that's part of it as well. Like if we haven't done a James and I show for a while, as I'm stepping onto stage, I'm like, can I trust this guy? And I'm pretty sure, however, however many hours we've done of improvising together, that it's going to be fine. Um, so that's why so I try and establish trust with other people. Hopefully people would feel kind of trusted to do that stuff. Um, I've gone really off topic. But the point that I was getting at is that thing of like... Um, I would hope that it's this thing of finding the interesting thing that you hadn't considered inside like an everyday situation. It's the combination of those things that I think is really interesting and they kind of rub up against each other. Sometimes that's scary, sometimes it's funny. <laughs> Whatever that thing is. Um, that's just my favourite thing to play with. <laughs> so maybe that's an answer. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you. I made this. That's improv! <laughs>